So this is today. Today is yesterday and tomorrow is also today. You traveled through time to the present. Yes. Yeah, I don't think you get how time travel works. It's like we're stuck. You know, like a like a needle on a scratch record. I wake up every day right here, right in Punxsutawney, and it's always February 2nd. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. It's a thing where the same day keeps happening. Time. in a damn time loop or something well it's groundhog day again and that must mean that i'm professor robert e.g black and this is the groundhog day project minute by minute and it's minute two of groundhog day which finally gets us into finally <laughs> it's been a minute it's been forever finally gets us inside the news studio which is, uh, as we got from the commentary track from Harold Remus, this is reshoots a couple months after they were done with principal photography. They had edited together the film. And I forget, he's not specific about it, but I think Terry Rubin says something about it in How to Write Groundhog Day, where it was one of the producers that wanted this added to give us a little uh, framing before the loop really gets started, before they're in Punxsutawney. And as Harold Ramis says in the commentary, to tease the relationship between Phil and Rita. This is, by the way, before we get to the minute, this is the Friday afternoon weather, presumably. Technically, Groundhog Day should be set. No, no, not should be. It was filmed in 1992. It was released in 1993. But based on numbers we see in the film, it is set in 1991. That is because we see a sign at Gobbler's Knob that said it is the weather capital since 1887. And uh, the banner at the banquet at the end of the film says that it is the 105th annual Inner Circle Groundhog Day Festival Banquet. Doing the math, that means this is 1991. So my details will be based on that when I go back and re-research them. Because I've already researched population of Punxsutawney, weather in Punxsutawney, weather in Elko, Nevada, based on 92 and 93 dates, probably 93 dates for early entries in the blog, because I hadn't really thought about why it would be set otherwise. General logic is a film is set when it comes out, unless it tells you otherwise. Which can be a problem when it's something like uh, like the movie Splash. I believe that's the uh, first example that came to mind. I think that's one where it starts in the past with the mermaid and Tom Hanks and John Candy's characters as kids and then cuts to the present and I think it either says present day or today which if you watch the movie years later it's like well that's not really true anymore is it you have to remember when the movie came out then and that's okay I'm <laughs> anyway things I forgot last week that I should have gotten to I talked about Nino Rota when I should have talked about George Fenton I mean, not that it wasn't worth talking about Nino Rota, because that was the whole point, is Ramis was saying George Fenton was doing his rendition of a Nino Rota style. But George Fenton is the one who's doing the music here, so we should talk about him. He was born in Brom... This is from his own website, georgefenton.com. George Fenton was born in Bromley, Kent, in 1949, one of five siblings. His father was a mechanical engineer. His mother had been... A, we don't need all this stuff about his family, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Both his parents were musical. His mother played the piano and his father the drums, but weren't musicians. However, his great-grandfather on his father's side was a conductor. 
and as a child had been a chorister. I don't. Does that just mean you're in a chorus? And had sung at the funeral of the first Duke of Wellington. George sang in church choirs as a boy, but it was the electric guitar, a Rossetti Lucky Seven, that first won his heart at the age of seven. The age of twelve, he began to study the church organ. Okay. It was also this time he uh, encountered two exceptionally gifted musicians. They were uh, former cathedral organists and worked at St. Edward's School in Oxford. David Petit, and he was the director of music, and Peter Whitehouse, the assistant director. Huh. He did some acting at university, played in various bands, and then he signed a record contract at MCA as a recording artist, and then one with his band at DECA, worked as a session musician, did some arranging. In 1974, he was asked by the director, Peter Gill, to write the music for Twelfth Night for the RSC, Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford. Since then, he has written extensively for theater, television, and film. Let's see what it says he's most famous for. Theater composition works with the musical new Mrs. Henderson Presents. Wrote the music for BBC's 2020 Talking Heads, both for television and at London's Bridge Theatre. Okay, television and documentaries. No. Film. Okay. Went on to score four. Let's see. He co-wrote the score to the 1982 biopic Gandhi with Ravi Shankar. Went on to score four more of Richard Attenborough's films. Um, Had long-lasting relationships with several directors, including Stephen Frears, Nora Ephron, and Ken Loach. Does it mention Groundhog Day in here? I'm just, that's all I really am curious about right now. His bio page is actually kind of long. It does not. No, it does. It's the last sentence in the film section. Just some of George's other film credits include Cry Freedom, Shadowlands, Dangerous Liaisons, The Madness of King George, Memphis Bell, The Lady in the Van, Groundhog Day, and so many more. We're with Phil. He asked last time. Somebody asked me today, Phil, if you could be anywhere in the world, where would you like to be? And now he answers the question. And I said to him, probably right here. We're on Phil's hand in front of a blue screen pointing at nothing. But he says, Elko, Nevada. Our nation's high at 79 today, which is really unlikely. Elko's average temperature, according to usclimatedata.com, on February 2nd is 41 degrees. It was not going to be 79. Elko's a cold place in the winter. Actually, it's kind of weird. I think Danny Rubin was maybe already living in New Mexico, so he should have known this. But maybe he didn't pick that line. Maybe it was written by Ramos, who's from Chicago, and maybe he thinks of Nevada as being warm, inherently. But, you know, we got Phil's name last minute, but the first thing we see of him is just his hand pointing at an empty space. This could be anybody. And where he wants to be is a vague blue space. This is, it's drawing us in, give us a personable guy talking, but also, we don't know who he is just yet. Then he says, out in California, they're going to have some warm weather tomorrow. Gang wars. I don't know the timing here. I know we see his shadow from his hand and his arm as the camera pulls back before we actually see Phil. So, we definitely see a shadow. So, six more weeks of winter. Of course, Punxsutawney Phil this year didn't see a shadow. Which means, according to Punxsutawney Phil, and we must trust him here at the Groundhog Day Project, minute by minute, winter's going to end early. Phil continues, gang wars, and some very overpriced real estate. Taking some digs at California. Up in the Pacific Northwest, as you can see, they're going to have some very, very tall trees. At this point, we've pulled back enough that we see the monitor behind Phil, or rather off to his right, that shows the weather map. And then I think it's after the tall trees line that we actually are watching the monitor with him in front of it, 
as he says, It will be clear across the Rockies and the Great Plains mostly, but look out, here comes trouble. Uh, he blows the clouds into the area. He is, he is responsible for his own imprisonment. This, I think this is just Bill Murray having fun. That's what Harold Ramis says in the commentary as well. So he just had fun with the chroma key stuff. But it also works as a symbolic gesture, even though it wasn't planned. He is blowing the storm into the area. The storm is what keeps him trapped in Punxsutawney. He is responsible for his own imprisonment. He is responsible for his own time loop. He has to be responsible for getting out of it. Boom. End the episode right there. I'm kidding. That's not the end of the episode. There's still more more, more of his dialogue. There's a lot of Phil talking in this minute. I mean, that's all this minute is, is Phil talking. Oh boy. Front coming our way. Look out. What's that going to mean to us here in the Three Rivers area? One of these big blue things. This cold, frigid Arctic air. This big mass coming out of the north. It's going to meet up with all this moisture coming up out of the Gulf. It's going to mix together at high altitudes and cause some snow. The thing is, he's good at this. He's good at being a weatherman. He's, he's funny. He's doing interesting gestures in front of the blue screen. So this, this matters for how we see him. Is that this is a guy who is good at his job, even though he hates it. Going out on a limb now. Not going to hit us here in Pittsburgh. We'll push off and hit Altoona. Close call, folks. And it got to temperatures on the map, on the monitor now. It puts Punxsutawney at 26 degrees, but I would point out on February 2nd, 1991, Punxsutawney's low was 32 degrees. The high at about 4 p.m. was 48 degrees. And at the 7 a.m. time where we, you know, we're going to see him outside in several minutes from now, it is 32 degrees. 26 actually a little low for Punxsutawney that day. I wanted to pick the other temperatures because that's a lot. Then he says the next part as he walks over to the desk. So he knows what he's doing. He knows what he, he has planned what he needs to say. He has already checked on what this weather means and has an idea of what he's doing. You know, more of the professionalism, even when he, he clearly doesn't like his job. We, we probably won't know until next minute that he kind of doesn't like his job. In this minute, we're introduced to a weatherman who's good at his job and is fun and funny. But as he's walking, he says, let's take a look at the five-day. As you can see, nothing to be too scared about. Bundle up warm, of course, but I think you can leave your galoshes at home. By the end of the minute, Phil is sitting next to Nan at the desk. Uh, we won't get to hear them talking or interacting with each other until next minute. That's the end of minute two. All that's left for us this week. I'm trying to think of what other... I think next week's going to be another non-minute episode because I'm going to give you a little bit more of the actual opening from the script because depending on the version, we get Phil interacting with his boss or Phil interacting with the earlier version of Rita because originally Phil was going to be the younger, newer at his job character and she was going to be like a seasoned vet who doesn't put up with his shit. Um, we also might start to talk about Stephanie next week. Stephanie DeCastro, Phil's current sort of girlfriend who works at the station. Or Phil's car and his car phone. Talk a bit about all of those things next week. For this week, we have our time loop of the week, which is probably the most recent time loop. I say probably because there are time loops all over the place, all the time. One of these days, one of my extra episodes will just be me listing off the 200 plus time loops that I have cataloged on IMDb. And that's just from video games, TV episodes, commercials, music videos, and films. Not counting comic books, not counting books, 
and there are plenty of books that involve time loops. One of my favorite novels, Replay, is basically a big giant time loop. My time loop of the week is what I think is the most recent. It just came out this, let's see, I'm recording this on February 8th. This came out for Groundhog Day this year, but I think it was actually available a day or two earlier. And it is called Groundhog Lays. Most of life is just junk, right? It's, it's filler. And then there's these moments when all the randomness turns into something perfect. It's like life's dropping all the bullshit just for a second to show us how amazing it could be all the time if it wanted to. Hmm. I don't know. I think maybe we're supposed to become like better people. Though I honestly don't even know how that could be possible. Never think about it, we must miss so many of them. All those tiny perfect things are just poof, gone, lost forever. But not today. That is a disturbingly inspirational idea, Mark. It's a perfect day. You couldn't plan a day like this. Well, you can. It just takes an awful lot of work. Time. 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 The last revision is what counts, apparently. Time. What if we found them all? All the perfect things in this one town, in this one day, we could collect them. It is a series of commercials that Frito-Lay did for Lace Potato Chips, featuring Stephen Tobolowski and Artemis Pebdani as a cashier at a grocery store. He is, I don't know, potentially Stephen Tobolowski himself, I guess. He is Guy buying Lace Potato Chips, and there's it says there's eight different versions of the ad, but I have only watched the combined version, which I think only gives us five. i got to look up the rest of the eight. And find them. Because the version I saw, with only five variations of what amounts to about 30 seconds-ish, does a lot. I mean, we have Stephen Tobolowski coming to buy. I think he buys plane lays at the beginning, and we get the cashier starts off with, here we go again. She's having trouble with the drawer of her cash register, and he wants to buy chips. She makes a pun about the chips every time, depending on the flavor. It's a different pun. But even with just a few variants we get the structure that we would get in a time loop, you know? You start to be horrified when you realize something's repeating. On the third time, you're really horrified because, oh shit, this is real. I'm not just imagining this. And then we get him feeling a little troubled by it. We get him playing with it again, sort of the God Day thing with Phil in the diner. Except here he is saying the lines along with the cashier because he knows what she's going to say. And then we even get the sort of him being nice to Rita after the fact. And him doing things for other people. Because then he gives the bag of lays to the cashier. And it's nice. But then in the, at least the version I saw where it was like five different things together. It comes back to a negative one after that. It should probably go in a different order. Because then he asks if they're in hell. And she basically tells him, yeah, he's going to be stuck there forever. Because do you know how many flavors of lays there are? I mean, it's, an, it's a commercial. But also it has done a really good job of giving us different variants of the day and different moods and tones in a very quick succession. I don't know how they played out on TV originally. Probably it was one version as an ad and it probably didn't feel like much until you saw the second version and until you saw the third version, which reminds me of old commercials like the, what was that, co the coffee commercial where you had the relationship and it was freaking Giles from Buffy. This is before he was Giles though. And he was in this ad, and it was kind of romantic, and he had an ongoing story. They also had an ongoing story with the guy looking for someone. Oh, I should have looked these up. Um, the guy looking for, we think it's his wife, 
And I think we slowly figure out it's not. And it was at like a hardware store. And this guy just keeps looking for her in all these different commercials. And so it had like this ongoing thing that connected multiple commercials for the same product. The first one was a Taster's Choice Gold Blend commercials. 12 45 second spots that ran from 1987 to 1993. The hardware thing, I have been unable to figure out what it was. This is uh, the latest kind of version of that and the latest time loop. And it's fairly entertaining for being so short and simple. So that's our time loop of the week, Groundhog Lays. That's minute two of Groundhog Day. Next week, we can talk to you more about how the different versions of the script begin. Through time. What is wrong in the end which never comes? Or which comes again and again. Lap, lap, lapping. Like waves. Since the Big Bang set everything in motion, everything that happens in this universe has to be the way it is. And are you hungry? I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Particles unfolding the way they're destined to. How do you sleep at night? You've never seen Groundhog Day? Mm. Yeah, you know, Groundhog Day is not a documentary.